So I don't actually want a lot for Christmas. I actually don't even wish for, for something like snow. In fact, all I really want for Christmas is to know a little bit more about bacteria. I hope you're feeling the same way, so let's jump right into this special episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria where we look at the lifestyles of the small and infamous, the incredible, the inspirational bacteria. I, as always, am your host, Dr. K, and I would like to personally welcome each and every single one of you back to the podcast. If this is your first time here, well, welcome aboard. Um, Please don't forget to follow, to share this podcast with your friends and family, especially now as we are entering this holiday season. Um, Also, if you wouldn't mind dropping a five-star review whilst you are at it, that would be super helpful to get this podcast out to more people pizza (laughs) to help this podcast get out to more people and that would bring even more people into this incredible world of microbiology and the fascinating little guys that make up that discipline now um, if you would like to stay up to date with changes to the podcast or if you would like to ask any questions related to bacteria other microorganisms or just science more broadly you can always follow us and contact us at instagram um, at science with dr k that is science with dr underscore k And as always, the link to that page can be found in the show notes of this episode. Um, Now, typically, or not typically, what we've been doing these past few days or episodes, that's a better better way of putting it, um, we've been answering people who have been asking questions about bacteria. Um, But today, we are not going to be answering any particular questions, not because I do not yearn to answer the deepest and most held scientific questions that you have within your heart, but because it's time for our Christmas special. Insert fanfare here to my producers. Um, So what we're going to do today is we're going to find something within the lore of Christmas that is at least tangentially related to bacteria. Now, Dr. K, you say, sipping your hot cocoa by the fireplace whilst the stockings are hung by the chimney with care, even though I've been religiously listening to this podcast for 44 episodes now, Surely bacteria can't be involved with Christmas. Well, that is where you would be wrong, my dear listener. You clearly need to listen to another 44 episodes. Bacteria are involved in pretty much everything that happens in this world, and Christmas is no different. So the big question is, where do we begin? How is it it that we can start to draw links betwixt the world of Christmas and the world of bacteria? Well, I have a question here. What could be more related to Christmas than reindeer? Reindeer, you say. But wait, Dr. K. Surely it's not bacteria that make reindeer the way they are. Surely it's not bacteria that make reindeer fly. There's no way. Have we been missing out on a source of flying energy that has previously gone unnoticed? Well, no. Actually, it is not the bacteria that makes the reindeer fly. That is reserved for magic with a K seed corn, specifically designed for making reindeer fly. And while that might have been present at the inception of the North Pole, magic with a K seed corn has been a little hard to find of late. Um, So we're out of luck there. But whilst the bacteria are lacking at this point in terms of mediating flying, they do contribute an awful lot in terms of digestion, in terms of metabolism. But in order to understand that better, right, and to give it its proper context, we should probably discuss the life and times of the reindeer. Now, the reindeer is actually a fascinating wee beastie, not to be confused with the caribou. That is a totally different organism. 
Um, the reindeer has actually a whole bunch of really cool adaptations that specifically tailor it for life in the North Pole. Let's take a look at their legs specifically. It turns out that reindeer have very little fur or hair on their legs, which happens to be pretty important if you want to keep your legs and the blood that runs within those legs, if you want to keep that warm. So you may be asking, how is it that a reindeer keeps its toes, its hoofs, warm in the freezing cold? And the answer is that it doesn't. In fact, as a way of conserving energy, that's going to come back in a second, as a way of conserving energy, the reindeer actually lets the temperature of its toes get all the way down to 33 degrees Fahrenheit, an astonishing single degree from uh, the freezing point of water. That's extremely, extremely cold. Now, not every part of the reindeer body can withstand that ridiculously low temperature, but there is this recurring theme when it comes to reindeer body temperature regulation, and that recurring theme, of course, is energetic efficiency, right? It t and when you're in the freezing, frigid climbs of the North Pole, it takes a lot of energy to keep key parts of the reindeer body at a livable temperature, now, what that means is it can't afford to be inefficient in the way that it produces energy. It can't be wasteful in the way that it generates that heat. It has to be extremely deliberate, and it has to use every bit of heat that it generates, right? Similarly, it has to be very precise in terms of how much heat it lets out, right? One way of letting that, one way of um, making sure that you don't make too much heat or waste too much heat or anything like that is by letting the temperature drop in the case of the legs in the case of the hooves right just just to ensure that you don't have to produce too much energy but another way another way that it can um, have energetic efficiency the reindeer is by using creative mechanisms to maintain a very very specific blood temperature right in fact let's look at the case of the reindeer nose now Ah, Dr. K, next thing you'll be telling me is that reindeers have uh, red noses, huh, Dr. K? You say, saucily. Um, well, actually, actually, yes. Yes, it does turn out that reindeers do have red noses. About a decade ago, a group of researchers out in Norway and the Netherlands identified a bunch of reindeer found in the Arctic regions that had very distinctive, adorable red noses. So, yeah, it does turn out that Rudolph probably wasn't all that special. In fact, he maybe got it from his parents. But it turns out that these red noses, right, these red noses aren't used as a way of shining light through a bunch of foggy Christmas Eves, but instead it's primarily used as a way of regulating the temperature of the reindeer, right? These somewhat unique reindeer noses actually have a 25% increased amount of blood vessels right up there in the nose. And what that does is it brings a huge amount of blood to the nose as a way of dissipating heat, right? Now, Dr. K, you said, why on earth would you want to dissipate heat? You're in the cold. Um, well, during their trudges through the tundra, or if, say, they were running to try and avoid something like a polar bear, Reindeer can actually get overheated. Yep, that is totally right. Reindeer can get overheated in that freezing cold Arctic in very specific situations. Now, lots of animals will release their excess heat out into the environment through large chunks of their body, through things like their, um, like their armpits or like the back or even just out the sides, right? But again, reindeer don't want to release all the heat that they generate in a really fast way because, remember, they need to retain a whole bunch of it in order to stay warm, right? So in other words, you don't want 
if if um, if a reindeer is overheating, you don't want to overcorrect and release too much heat if you're going to be stranded out in the tundra. So how do reindeer modulate the amount of heat that they release? And the way they do that is by concentrating a bunch of blood vessels right at their nose, right? What happens is reindeer will bring a lot of the warm blood, the overheated blood, close to the air, and that allows them to cool their blood down in an effective way, um, while at the same time not losing too much of that heat to the environment. It's acting almost like a, the nose is acting almost like a throttle, right, by making sure that you're not releasing too much heat, but also um, giving the reindeer the ability to cool its blood down after it's been overheated. How crazy is that? Isn't that bonkers? Red noses. Who knew? Um, now, while it's super crazy, super cool, that reindeer can use their noses as a way of, as like a throttle of releasing heat into the environment or cooling the blood, this incredible, beautiful red nose can also be used in the opposite direction, right? By using their nose or that nasal cavity to recycle their own heat. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, if you look into the blood vessels of reindeer, there's this really, really neat connection between the arteries, right, which carry blood away from the heart, and veins, which carry blood back to the heart. Unlike most other animals, the reindeer has both of these blood vessels intertwined, where they'll just wrap around each other. Now, this may seem a little odd at first, um, but if you zoom in on these little blood vessels, you'll notice that not only are they intertwined, they're also undergoing heat exchange, right? Temperature, warm temperatures are being passed from one to the other. Now, this may not seem like a really big deal until you put this in the context of the Arctic. See, as long as they're not running away from polar bears or flying through the midnight sky, the vast majority of the reindeer can get really, really cold like we've seen. In fact, as we mentioned, there are some places in the reindeer that get barely above freezing, right? How is it that this blood doesn't totally go below freezing? And that's where this heat exchange comes in. Because these blood vessels are so entwined, blood that is coming from the heart in the arteries actually starts to heat blood in the veins as it's coming back toward the heart, right? This phenomenon, it's called countercurrent heat exchange, Right, And it does a couple of things. Number one, it prevents the blood from freezing by pouring heat into the veins as the veins are bringing blood back from the extremities. And number two, it's maintaining the temperature of the blood at the extremities at that low level, preventing overheating and wasting of heat, preventing the blood from freezing right at those far extreme extremities. Right? Overall, it's this really, really neat way of almost, um, almost recycling the heat, um, maintaining this temperature and all with optimum efficiency, right? Super, super cool. Isn't that neat? Now, this would not be an episode of short stories bacteria. If we didn't bring microbiology into this at some point, we've been talking all about the reindeer and how cool they are and how they maintain temperature and all these different things, um, but we need to bring in bacteria at some point, so let's, let's bring this in. Um, here's another little fact that actually shows just how incredible um, these little critters are, and that has to do with food. See, you may be aware that the North Pole is a relatively barren place when it comes to vegetation and um, vegetative foodstuffs. Now, that doesn't seem like a massive deal to things like the polar bear, the snow fox, um, the occasional sea creature. Um, but it does pose a problem to the herbivores within the group, the herbivores in the area, uh, the reindeer, 
being amongst them. It turns out that while magic with a K seed corn and reindeer oats that are provided at homes all around the world are sufficient for the trek across the world, delivering packages and packets and parcels to all the little children, the reindeer needs a little something-something else to tide him over during the rest of the season. Um, they can get by just fine in the summer, um, but during the winter... They seem to be a little bit out of luck, right? There's not a lot in terms of vegetation and grain and grass and trees and such like. Um, there's not a whole lot. Um, but it does turn out that actually there does tend to be a lot of what's known as lichen. Now, to what can I liken um, the lichen? Well, the best way to describe this is a partnership between multiple organisms. Um, kind of like how SCOBY is... Um, a blend of things like yeast and bacteria. Essentially what um, lichen is, it's a batch of bacteria or some sort of algae that has taken up house with a fungus. This, um, this what's the word I can use? I guess consortium is another good, for it, another good word, for, word for it. Excuse me. This consortium of microorganisms, it makes up a symbiotic um, pseudo-organism, I guess you can kind of think about it, called a lichen, right? So that's what it is. It's a, it's a bacteria or an algae that have hung out with the fungus, and this consortium together is called a lichen. So that's what it is. Now, this is all very well and good, you might think, until you realize that consuming something like this is actually quite dangerous. If you look at the elk of Wyoming or the sheep of um, wherever, pick your favorite sheep spot, um, you will find that there's actually an awful lot of dying that happens if you consume too much lichen. Lichen, it turns out, are extremely toxic. In fact, it would be stupid to try and rely on the lichen as a significant source of your food, wouldn't it? Um, at least that was the presupposition until bacteria splashed onto the scene. Um, in a really, really cool paper that came out in 2016 from a school in Norway, I tell you, all the folks in Norway really, really like their reindeer. Um, uh, back in 2016, a batch of researchers were investigating why it was that reindeer just wouldn't die when they consumed so much lichen. And what they found is that when reindeer consume lichen, the microbiome in their rumen and cecum, that's where vegetation is essentially digested, it's drastically, drastically different. Specifically, there's a drop in the classical ruminococcus and bacteriodales genuses in these two organ organs. And this alteration in the microbiome essentially blunted the toxic effects of the lichen in the gut of the reindeer, right? And what that did, it has allowed the reindeer to digest the lichen. And in that way, reindeer could just happily munch away at lichen and not be too worried at all about dying from death before before Christmas. So isn't that crazy? What a crazy thing, Dr. K. You say overawed and overwhelmed by the sheer grit of range of her terrendus and by this, oh best beloved, I do mean the reindeer. What a crazy thing. How adapted it is to its environment. How incredible it is that bacteria can play such a role. It is pretty cool. Um, so this Christmas, don't forget to wish a happy Christmas to all of those reindeer out there, um, all of the bacteria that live within the reindeer. Um, be sure to tell them that they are super, super special. But, boy, what an episode, you guys. Let us wrap this up, for it turns out that there are Christmas cookies to get to, I'm sure. Um, so, number one, reindeer, as it turns out, are pretty cool, both physically and, what's the word? Culturally? I guess we'll call it that. Reindeer are pretty cool, and they're very well adapted to things like the Arctic, or even the North Pole. Number two, a lot of the adaptations for reindeer relate to temperature regulation, as t reindeer are working to minimize the amount of energy they need to survive in the frigid climes of the North. 
Number three, bacteria also contribute to the adaptations of the reindeer, providing them with a way of getting a totally unique food source for those cold winter months. What another instance of adaptation. What a cool way of ushering in the Christmas season. Um, usually I have a number, a fourth point, but I'm stopping there. So um, thank you guys. <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. It turns out that we'll be taking a break next week for Christmas, but I wanted to wish each and every single one of my listeners a very happy and amazing Christmas and holiday season. Please be assured of my prayers and only the best of vibes. And I cannot wait to see you all after the break for another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria.